Matthew chapter 24 this morning. We'll be reading verse 3, going down through verse 6. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Christ is here in the Mount of Olives, and as he preaches, the disciples come to him and ask him in private, Tell us, what shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? We see one of the longest explanations in all of Scripture. And uh, he didn't really respond the way that they had hoped. He didn't give them the answer they wanted, but rather the answer that they needed. You have to understand the Jewish mindset here because they had read the prophecies of the Old Testament. They had expected the coming of the Messiah. More than that, they were waiting for a kingdom that already suffered the devastation by the hands of the Assyrians and then the captivity there in Babylon and also under the rule of the, the Greeks and now under the rule of the Romans. They wanted to be free from that. And as they thought about the end times in Christ establishing his kingdom, they were hoping that Jesus, their Messiah, would rule and reign and free them from Roman rule. And here's our question. What are the signs going to be? When is it going to take place? And instead of answering their question, he gives them three or four recommendations and commands on how to live during the last days. I don't want to take the time this morning to explain to you why I believe we're living in the last days. I think it's rather obvious as we look at the signs of his coming, we see the prophecies fulfilled. Uh, I believe and I hope that in my lifetime we'll see the rapture and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But meanwhile, it's our job not just to survive but to thrive. And I've seen uh, over the years as we get closer to the day more trepidation, more fear. And you see in God's people awareness of what is taking place around them and instead of looking at God's word looking at Bible prophecy and becoming excited about God's plan unfolding there's a fear that's taking place God in his word and Jesus Christ in this teaching tells the disciples several things that they need to do during the last days I want you to see the first one that he mentioned in verse 4 Jesus answered and said to them Take heed that no man deceive you. Be not deceived. Now, we have to understand, it's innate within man to be deceived. Our enemy, Satan, is the great liar, the great deceiver, the great trickster, and he's deceived billions of people. Every man that's ever walked on this planet, one time or another, has been deceived by Satan. Don't think you're too wise not to fall into that deception. But as we get closer to the last days, the deception, the delusion will grow greater and greater and more and more will be deceived. Look what it says in verse 24 of the same chapter. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now I want you to understand chapter 24, Matthew 24, is speaking of the time of the tribulation. Now, if you're a born-again child of God, you will not go through the tribulation. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for the promise of the rapture that when the trumpet sounds, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we that have been born again, those that are saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb, will be called up into heaven, and there will be suffering as this world has never seen before. The last seven years, and then Christ will come back and rule and reign. That's what we call the millennial kingdom. We know this is speaking of the time of the tribulation. But leading up to that time, things will grow worse and worse. And as we watch prophecy unfold and things take place around us, we have seen the great deception already begin to take place. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians. Every time you read about the last 
days you'll see these words used deceiving being deceived deception second Thessalonians speaking of the Antichrist in the end times look what it says in verse 3 let no man deceive you by any means what is the command if you're living in the last days be not deceived be on guard for that day shall not come except there come a falling away lest there be a great apostasy and the deception of this day is so great that now apostasy is confused as revival you know what we've seen in our nation as we grow further and further from God and the principles of this book churches are growing at an alarming rate and people are preaching and watching what is taking place and talking about the great revival that is sweeping this nation boy you have to have your head in the sand if you think revival is sweeping this nation apostasy is sweeping our churches and sweeping our nation and churches are not growing but rather bloating that's what the dead do that no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, jump down to verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Now, just about the time you want to become fearful, remember this, the Antichrist, he will rule for a short time, and then the Lord shall consume him with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, Look what the next phrase says. Lying wonders with all deceivableness. Do you understand what is taking place in the last days? God is highlighting the fact that a great deception will take place, and this is why it's so important to be cautious, to be aware, and to make a determination. I must be familiar with God's word so I too am not deceived. Look what it says. They received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now, we know this talking about the great tribulation, but we also know leading up to those days, we've already started down this path and Satan has blinded the hearts of men in not just millions of the unsaved, but we're talking about those in churches that have heard the truth become acquainted with God's word have fallen into the trap of deception misunderstanding God's holy word verse 12 that they might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness now none of this should surprise us because it's all been prophesied look what it says in 2 Corinthians 11 why is it so easy to be deceived. 2 Corinthians 11, just a few books before 2 Thessalonians. 2 Corinthians 11, look what it says in verse 13. For such are false apostles, there it is again, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Now, as you look around, it, it doesn't take but one visit to the Christian bookstore. Boy, things have changed. Our stores no longer contain the preserved, inspired word of God. No longer can you walk in and see rows of King James Bibles. Now they have perversions and versions on every shelf. But the books are mostly psychology and philosophy and even humanism. It's rare to find a book that even contains a verse of scripture out of the King James Bible or even a Bible principle, but it's rather man's mindset. If you turn on your television and watch the so-called teaching and preaching that is taking place, number one, most of it is not preaching, but simply teaching. Uh, and it comes straight from the heart and mind of man when it should come straight from the heart of God. Uh, in the mind of God which is found in this word but here's why we so easily fall into confusion and into deception because God is light and Satan has transformed himself into an angel of light so we're comparing light with light 
Verse 14, it's no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Go with me to 1 Timothy 4. Now, we like to think that this is all new to our day and our age. But if you go all the way back to Jeremiah, we're studying the book of Jeremiah, and I may even preach on this either tonight or over the next few weeks. Jeremiah 23 speaks of the same dilemma. Prophets were no longer prophesying the word, but their own thoughts, their own opinions, and it distanced himself from the word of God. Look what it says in 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. We have seen that. It's amazing to look back 20 years ago when I was in Bible college and now to see many of those friends are on the mission field, they're in the ministry, God's blessed their lives and their ministries, but also as many as have gone on and done right and stood on Bible principle and stayed faithful to the Word of God, there's just as many or more that have deviated from truth, fallen into the trap of deception, departed from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Look what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. When you mix truth with error, it's hard for many to distinguish the error from the truth, and that's what's taking place in this day, this age, St. Timothy 3.1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. We're living in perilous times. Verse 13, evil men and seducers, those that deceive through philosophy and tradition, using the word of God, twisting the word of God, they'll wax worse and worse. And what's the result? What's the Bible saying? Deceiving and being a deceived what are we supposed to do what's the Bible saying but thou continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them now what will keep us from falling into the trap of deception verse 15 and then from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus all scriptures given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, if you are not glued to this word, if you're not firm in your faith, if you're not fervent in reading this book, you will be deceived. I guarantee it. Chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come, that's 2013, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I remember a, a day, a generation, not long ago, just a couple decades ago, when you could travel from city to city and place to place and church to church and actually stop in and hear Bible preaching. But preaching is harder and harder to find. It's been replaced by teachers. And now out of this emergent church movement, not only have they taught, not only have they written in their books, but their philosophy is this. There's nothing more harmful to the emergent church than preaching. You want to clear out those churches in a heartbeat, you send in a prophet, a man of God, a preacher like John the Baptist or Jesus Christ or the Apostle Paul, and their attendance would quickly be downsized by about 95%. Can you imagine if men of God like J. Frank Norris were preaching 60 years ago that only 40 or 50% of congregations were born again? Can you imagine in this day and age what the percentage would be? What's taking place? Verse 4. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. Now, it's the same trickery that Satan's used that worked from the beginning of time with Eve there in the garden, getting her to doubt God, asking her in Genesis 3, Yea, hath God said. Now, it's one thing for the world to ask those questions. It's one thing for the unsaved to ask that kind of question. 
But now that is being asked in churches. Ye hath God said. He's implying to Eve that she's misunderstood scripture. And here's what Satan is using in this generation. Prophets, so-called men of God, preachers and pastors, getting their congregations to doubt the very word of God. Prophets in this generation, pastors in this generation, are promoting vagueness. Everything is fuzzy. Everything is gray. They're placing doubt in God's word instead of confidence. Doctrines have become an ongoing conversation. There's nothing debatable, deniable, disputable in this book. I believe in the preservation of the scripture. I believe in the vicarious death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The virgin birth is not debatable. They begin to plant seeds of doubt. And if you believe or speak of truth as if it were undeniable or uncontestable or unchangeable, they look at you as being proud and haughty and obnoxious because the emergent church has become the church of humanists that teach that there are no absolute truths. There are absolute truths. They're found right here in this book. They haven't changed for thousands of years, but now the great lie is that there is no systematic theology that is final. Did you get that? And that teaching now is sweeping independent Baptist churches where theology now is up for debate. They don't take the Bible literally. They spiritualize everything. They ask and even teach the young people to debate is truth and can truth be known at all? They don't desire a clear understanding of God's word. But here's what's convenient and here's why it's done. Ambiguity is very convenient when you want to sin and feel no conviction. So as long as you can doubt the word of God, then you can avoid a Holy Spirit conviction. If there are no rights, there are no wrongs, there are no absolute truths, everything is gray and you're the decider of truth, you become the final authority and that's exactly what Satan wants. Go with me to Psalms 119. Christ said, Be not deceived. The deception that has taken place, I would have never imagined it in my lifetime. To see this in the house of God, among God's people, pastors now have placed doubt on the word of God. The inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. Now, the word is really clear. Look what it says in Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. The light is clear. It doesn't leave any darkness at all. Verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Aren't you glad you can read this book? You don't have to question, you don't have to doubt. You know exactly what God says. 2 Peter 1, 19, we also have what? A more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed is unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, the day star arise in your hearts. Just as Satan placed doubt in Eve's heart and mine 6,000 years ago, then he got her not just to doubt the word but deny the word when he said, yea, if God said, let, let me tell you something about what God told you. Let me clarify the meaning." you're not going to die. When he said, ye shall surely die, do you really believe as soon as you eat of that fruit that you will fall over dead? And that's what this world is doing. Not the world that scares me, but the church and leaders of the church that are now denying this book to such a degree that salvation is no longer preached because the gospel is exclusive and this world and churches 
that have formed in the past 10 years don't like an exclusive gospel being preached. They don't like hell being mentioned. They don't like the fact, now listen, the Bible still says, John 14, 6, Jesus speaking, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. That sounds pretty exclusive. Christ still said in Luke 13, 3, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's pretty exclusive. But here's what churches have said and pastors have stated. God's grace wouldn't exclude anyone from heaven. God's grace won't exclude you from the opportunity of heaven. But nowadays, grace and the gospel has been so misconstrued uh, now there's a disdain for this book. There's a disdain for holy living. There's a disdain for Bible preaching. Paul did say that the cross and the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that believe not. It's not just a doubt for the word of God and a denial, but then they begin to replace the word of God with opinions and traditions and philosophies. And we should be prepared for what is taking place because the Bible explained that. Did you know when the Antichrist comes, he's not going to be an obnoxious ogre with an ugly face, difficult to understand, but a smooth politician that talks about the old ways, the old values, and how there's a new day that's dawning with new values and new morals. And those very things that were part of our fabric of this society in this Christian culture that was now we accept in the name of tolerance every sin under the sun what's wrong with that he was born that way what's your problem with my lifestyle everyone's doing it you're an old fogey we shouldn't be deceived by any of those things that are taking place. But we have fallen into a great lie and a great deception. As Paul spoke on grace, he clarified it. Romans chapter 6, turn there with me for just a minute. He said, yes, salvation is by grace, and yes, grace is extended to every man, but no, grace is not your permission slip to sin or to live free of all rules and restrictions found in God's word. Here's what he said in Romans 6, 1, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He said, I just want to clarify teaching on grace. Grace is not your divine permission to do wrong or live carnally as a Christian. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You know what misunderstanding and misconstruing grace has done? It's changed our churches from battleships to cruise ships. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about the mentality the average person walking to the average church this morning. Now, I've never taken a cruise, but I've talked to people that have done it. And here's what they all say. Pastor, it's amazing. When you step off that plane, you don't even have to worry about your luggage. It's at your room before you get there. I've been told if you walk out of your room four or five times during the day, if, if, you, if you sat on that bed, you disturbed that sheet or that cover or that pillow, it'll all be made and back in place. When you leave, the room is clean. They cater to your appetite. You can pick, you can choose whatever buffet, whatever style of food you want. It's there for your pleasure. That's what our churches have turned into. Many people walk into the parking lot expecting to be served hand and foot. I want you to treat me like royalty. I want you to help me. I want What kind of food are you going to give me this morning? I'm looking for steak and lobster. I'm looking for about 3,500 calories. I'm trying to clog my arteries and have a heart attack at 55. I want to put my blood... Sugar level about 643. Instead of saying this is not a cruise ship, this is a battleship. We're fighting sin, we're fighting the flesh, we're fighting devil. 
climb on board, all hands on deck. We need people in the kitchen. We need people manning the guns. We need people cleaning the ship. We need people involved and ready for battle. But instead, people are looking for a chair beside the pool. I'm coming to the house of God for fun in the sun. Where's my meal? Where's my personal servant? Where's the love? That's what grace has done to our churches. We've believed a lie, and it has swept this nation, and you've watched it personally. The phenomenon of what's taken place in the past 10 years nearly blow your mind. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. As Christ speaks to them, he said, number one, take heed that no man deceive you. Don't be deceived. That's why you need to get in this book. Study it and read it for yourself. I wonder what percentage of our congregations in the United States of America have never even completely read their Bible one time. That's a recipe for deception. If you're not in this book and pouring your heart and soul out in this book and memorizing these words and studying God's mindset, you will be deceived. He said, be not deceived. Look what it says, verse 6. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Look what he says. See that ye be not troubled. So we're not supposed to be deceived. And then he says, be not troubled. Well, pastor, how is that possible? If we're hearing of wars and rumors of wars, verse 7, nation shall rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Verse 9. They shall deliver you to be afflicted. They'll kill you. You'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. They'll betray one another. They'll hate one another. Let me ask you this. How can you live that and not be troubled? I've never been really or experienced a severe earthquake, but one time in Pachuca, Mexico, our house shook. It was a small tremor in Mexico City that was felt all the way to Pachuca. Now, if you've ever been in the middle of an earthquake, no matter how small it is, it'll shake up your day. When you feel a house move, that makes you nervous. And here's what God says, don't be troubled. How many of you have paid any attention to what's going on in the Ukraine? Russia making alliance with China and moving into Crimea and bringing soldiers in. And you watch what's going on in the Middle East and what's happening around the world. And it's easy to let your heart be troubled. Folks, here's what we've done. We've sugar-coated what is coming to pass. And God must judge this once great nation. Do you believe in the collapse of the dollar? Absolutely, it's going to take place. Do you believe in devaluation? At some point, it will take place. We lived it in Argentina, and the very same things that took place in Argentina decades ago are now in motion and taking place. The exact same things that we saw and lived and suffered in that country are going to take place here. Now, here's what we want. We don't want a pastor or a prophet to tell us those things. Please tell us that everything will be okay. Please tell us that America will turn the corner. Please tell us that things will be perfect for the next generation. You know as well as I do with the international debt. You know as well as I do with everything in motion. You know as well as I do with Obamacare. Your health care is not going to get better but worse. Not cheaper but more expensive. Folks, we don't want the truth anymore, especially not from our pulpits. Now, here's the truth. All of those things will come to pass. But God says, don't be troubled. You say, well, hold on for a second, Pastor. <laughs> wars and rumors of wars and pestilence 
and famine. If, if you're experiencing famine, that means you go to the market, but there's no food to buy, no money to buy the food that is there. Your children are going hungry. I'm not talking about the inability to eat at fancy restaurants. I'm talking about not eating. When that's taking place, it's natural for man to be troubled. Now think about this for a minute. The bottom line is, we as Americans have not really suffered on any level. You know, as you went to your closet this morning, you begin to sort through your clothes and say, hmm, I wore that last week and that last month and... Um, and you chose out of all those shoes. Matter of fact, you were searching for the matching pair because there are so many in that closet floor. And you didn't go to the fridge and open it up only to see two carrots and one potato and a little measure of fine meal and a cup of milk. No, we all went to a fridge that has so much that there's actually food in there that's rotting, right? There are cans and things in our pantry that are outdated simply because we bought them and did not have the time or the desire to eat them yet. We are the land of plenty. But even in the midst of, of, of having plenty, although your health is actually pretty stable and your finances are okay uh, we don't have the excess that we would like or the bank accounts that we'd hope for but we have exactly what we need and to spare and we're still troubled you woke up this morning not in the hospital but at your own house not to cold although outside the weather is a little bit frosty you woke up this morning to a heated room and a nice breakfast, comfortable clothes, and a pretty good life. And in the midst of that, we still find ourselves troubled. Now, what's the command? Don't be troubled. Why? God is still in control. This is all prophesying. God is actually the one that's going to put the Antichrist in place and allow him to do what he does. And it'll only be during a seven-year period. And when the time is up, he'll cut him off, end his life. Now, if you've read a book before and you got concerned, and maybe a few of you that are born cheaters, you went straight to the end of that book just to find out. I've watched people watch movies. Why do you say, why did you watch people watch movies? Because I can't stand to watch movies, so I watch the people to watch the movies. I've seen people get so nervous in the middle of a movie that they get up and walk out of the room. I've watched grown men as they watched a bowl game or the Super Bowl or a playoff game. I've watched teenagers and young people get so nervous because of a, a kick or a final play or as the seconds, the final seconds were ticking off the clock. They got so nervous they couldn't watch. They put their hands in their head, walked out of the room, waiting to see the final result. And that's the average Christian dealing with this life, pacing the floor, hoping to walk out of the room just for a moment and come back and see that everything was okay. Well, let me spoil your fun and ruin your fear. Go with me to Revelation. Let's just skip to the last chapter. Let's, let's just read the ending before it takes place and take away uh, your reason to be nervous. Revelation chapter 19, verse 14 the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, you know where you're going to be during the battle of Armageddon. If you're not on a white horse, that means you didn't make the rapture. If you didn't make the rapture, that means you went through the tribulation. If you went through the tribulation, you made a very poor decision. 
because if you get born again, you can avoid all of that. Verse 15, out of his mouth, whose mouth? The Lord Jesus Christ goeth a sharp sword. With it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You read chapter 21, you'll see a new heaven, a new earth, all sorrow, all sickness, all sadness. His passed away. Look what it says in chapter 22, verse 13. Here's the end. Here's the last chapter. I am the Alpha and the Omega. What's that mean? He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, in the beginning, God. That's Genesis 1.1. And at the end, God. Isn't it good to know that God's your Father? The creator of this universe is your Savior. I remember... Years ago, 16 years ago, there in Argentina, we walked into a doctor's office. We thought it was a normal moment and a regular visit for my wife as she was pregnant with Ashley. As they did that ultrasound, the doctor paused. He said, I think we're going to have to do another test. Can you step out for a minute? And then Kim left and we got another doctor and they began to talk and they came out and said Adam Kim we have bad news for you your daughter has a very serious heart condition and may not survive birth if she does she'll need immediate surgery most likely will live her life with Down syndrome now as a young man hearing those words I must confess the first thing I chose was fear not faith as we walked out of that office and went home and I'm not one for taking naps but in the middle of the day I laid down on my bed and didn't wake up till the next morning thinking about the situation that we were finding ourselves in in a foreign country with a serious problem and I'll confess to you as my congregation your pastor is a man of God should have stepped out by faith from the moment that he heard that news, but he didn't choose faith. He chose fear and panic and trepidation and worry set in and all the possibilities and ramifications and problems and where is she going to go and how are we going to do this surgery and will she survive? And thankfully, it wasn't but a day or two later, we said, you know what, let's choose faith. Fear is miserable. Now, folks, if you've ever lived in fear, what a miserable way to live. We said, let's change this and go a different direction and just trust God. Three open heart surgeries later, we have a 16-year-old. 16 wonderful years later, I thank God that we've chosen a path of faith. Guess what? Yes, she's had surgeries. Yes, we spent a lot of time in ICU. Yes, we've had moments of concern but I'm thankful that we made a choice years ago to trust God and put those things in his hands and not live a fearful life I remember uh, last year the year before she was taking medication and for blood pressure and uh, one day as I was getting some vitamins. I saw her medication. I thought, that's funny. I don't see that going down. Uh, that doesn't look right. And I said, Ashley, uh, have you been taking your medication? She said, no, Dad. Oh, no. I said, you haven't? No. You heard what the doctor said. You have a weakened valve. Your blood pressure goes up. That valve breaks you don't have a chance to go to the hospital. You go straight to heaven. She said, oh, Dad, I'm all better. I said, you're not all better. Kim, call the doctor. She called the doctor. We set up an appointment. Took her. Uh, Doc, we just want you to know, this young lady right here prescribed to herself life without medication. What do you think? Here's what the doctor said. you get your degree young lady 
He said, let me do some tests. You know how those tests are, about $2,500 later. He said, she doesn't need to be taking that medication at this time. Isn't it amazing how we naturally seek to live by fear? He said when famine and pestilence and wars and rumors of wars and you're being hated, listen, during the tribulation, there won't be a single nation that says you'll be hated of all nations. You won't be able to run from one nation to the next avoiding the hatred. But man, any man that's a born-again child of God will find himself hated anywhere he goes. Now, we're not even living in the tribulation, but God's command is still the same. Fear not. Amen? Well, pastor, you've got to understand that we're, we're so beset by worry and fear. Listen, I believe it's just as wrong for you to fear and worry and fret as it is for you to go down to 6th Street this Friday night, get drunk, go home with a woman that's not your wife. I believe it's just as wrong, just as wicked, just as hurtful, just as harmful, just as sinful. To live... Uh, consumed by fear you say what do you think is going to happen in our nation I don't know but I can't tell you what is going to happen God is on the throne my God shall provide your needs meet your needs according to his riches and glory I believe I'm eternally secured I believe I have the presence of the Father the Son and the Holy Ghost so I believe any fretting or worrying or fearful moments that I have and that I struggle with in this life are simply a waste of time and energy and I don't have much time and energy to waste I've got enough worry lines why add another go back with me to Matthew chapter 24 let's read verse 42 through 45 and we'll be done verse 42 Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord cometh. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. So what are the commands? Don't be deceived. Don't be fearful. And here we find the last one. Don't be weary, but watchful. Now, you thought about those of you that have been a Christian, been faithful to church, been involved in ministry, maybe a decade, maybe two, maybe three. There are some of you that have been involved in the work of God for at least 30 or 40 years. To you, God still has the same message to those that are recently saved. Don't be weary in well-doing. Now, young people, I haven't quite understood a young, people, a young person being weary. My son has gone home several times after working with men in the church and has come home after 10 or 12 hour day and walked in and said, boy, dad, I'm worn out. I said, don't even start it. You shouldn't be wearing your youth. You've got strength on your side. You've got energy on. If you can't do right, and if you live weary with strength and energy, the strength and energy of youth, you've got problems to come. Because what's going to happen one day and you wake up without strength and without youth and without energy and then you have to do right on an empty gas tank. Be not weary. There is no reward for feigning. And here's what we're going to fight at some point in life. Things begin to accumulate. There's a financial problem. There's a marital difficulty. There's a child in the family that seems to be consistently causing trouble and heartache in as you begin to bear those burdens. And then as you begin to age, my heart breaks when I'm around those that are suffering the effects of age and having health problems. Yesterday I was up at the hospital and I find myself occasionally crying. I never used to cry. But the reality of seeing people suffer hits me in a different way. 
is I watch people deal with extreme pain and still try to function. The command for them is still the same. Be not weary. Boy, I'm glad I didn't, I wasn't overcome with weariness my youth. I remember we went to Argentina, we began knocking on doors and trying to plant that church. It was door after door after door after door, week after week after week after week, person after person, and still no one getting saved. I'm glad I didn't quit. We can see now what God had in store for the churches there in Mexico and for the ministry that God had for us down the road. I can't imagine what would have happened if I would have quit when I was 25. And how many have done it? I have college friends that quit the ministry at 25 I have called it friends that quit marriage at 35 I have friends that quit on God at 40 be not weary and the longer you live the more you can see either the reward for doing right or the consequence for doing wrong and I've seen both and the experience of just hanging on and holding out in being not weary we're talking about normally weariness starts in the mind you got to say no I've got a God that's bigger than that I've got a ministry I have a purpose and I'm not going to live weary in the example that we have verse 37 but as the days of Noah were so shall the coming of the son of man be for as in the days that were before the flood they were eating drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the Ark, you know who the example is? Noah. Now, here's what God did. He set the bar pretty high. Go back with me to Genesis 6. We'll read one last scripture and be done. You are required to be faithful. That's your only requirement. Pastor, I just don't, I don't know. It's not like I have any special musical talent. I don't have a lot to offer the church. I don't know what I can do. Pastor, am I succeeding you know what God requires you one thing, just be faithful. Say, what am I supposed to do? Be faithful. Well, I, I don't feel like I'm adding much. Be faithful. You ought to be faithful to church. You ought to be faithful to prayer meeting. You ought to be faithful to soul winning. Look what it says in Genesis 6, verse 9. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. When we talk about being perfect in his generations, what kind of faithfulness was that? Chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him, and Noah was 600 years old. Now, you think it's difficult to do right for six months or six years? Try 600. Well, pastor, I've been faithful. We recognize Brother Dave Kelly. I've been faithful for 30 years. You know what? Bless your heart. You only have 570 to go because Noah set the pattern. He laid the example. And we're supposed to not be weary in well-doing, but be watchful. 600 years of faithfulness. How do you do it? One day at a time. One decision at a time. One moment at a time. You know what we're supposed to be? Faithful today tomorrow, the next day, the next month. You know and you've seen, if you've been in church in any for any amount of time at all, you've watched people come and go, and it's always the same problem. They got weary and well-doing. I've watched people get in the soul and stop, start reading their Bible and quit. This is the biggest generation of quitters on the planet. I'm going to go on a diet, and 48 hours later, they quit. I'm going to learn a musical instrument. And just about the time the parents come up with enough money to buy the violin, the guitar, or bring in a synthesizer, suddenly that child, after three lessons, has decided to quit. If we can't even do the simplest exercises of life with faithfulness, the Christian life takes character and some grit and some gumption and some determination. We have a generation of Christians looking for an excuse, looking for a reason, looking for a way to miss church, miss sowing, miss the Bible reading, looking for an excuse not to love their neighbor, help a fellow brother, 
looking for an excuse not to give, not to tithe, because we're weary, because the Christian life is work. And as we go into the last days, here was Christ's answer. They were looking for explanations. They wanted to hear some exciting news, and here's what Christ told them. Don't be deceived. Don't be troubled. Don't be weary. You say, what do we do in this generation? The same thing. And you look up, get your eyes off the earthly, get your eyes on God and say, he's still in control. Now let me ask you this. Are you ready for his return? Are you saved? Did you know he'd come today? He could come at this very moment. Everything's in place. Prophecy's been fulfilled. There's nothing at this point that's keeping him from coming back. Could happen today. Could happen on your way home. It'll happen in an instant. In the twinkling of an eye, Christians will be gone. Let me ask you this. Christ comes back this week. Will you be here Sunday? Can you imagine? Can you imagine waking up to a wife that's been raptured? Coming to a church where a large percentage of the congregation has been raptured out. Now, here's what you want to do. You want to make sure you're saved. So when you, you go, when it's time to go, you don't want to live through the tribulation. And if you've never been born again, just read Revelation this afternoon. Take a look at the things that are coming down the pike. And you'll say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to hesitate or wait another day. I think I need to just get born again now. If you've bought health insurance and life insurance and car insurance, it's time for you to buy soul insurance. Get born again. Father, we pray this morning.